0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and each week, I talk about issues of faith, life, and the Bible, and try to relate them to everyday life. Although I come from a Christian perspective, I hope that all of you can find something of value here, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with me. I've learned that when we seriously engage in important conversations, especially about the Bible, some disagreement is inevitable. But when we engage in those conversations, we can also learn from one another if we keep open minds and open hearts. This week, I'd like to look at an important and challenging biblical passage from the Gospel of Luke. This passage challenges us to examine some of our own habits that can deprive us of meaningful and happy lives and increase our fears. The passage is found in Luke 12, 32-40. And it's part of a series of teachings that Jesus gave to a crowd in Jerusalem. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms to the poor. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action, and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down and eat, and he will come and serve them if he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so blessed are those slaves but know this if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not let have let his house be broken into you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an unexpected hour now jesus starts out with words of comfort Do not be afraid, little flock. He addresses them as though they are sheep under the care of a loving shepherd. He's going to give you the kingdom. He immediately follows these comforting words, however, with a surprising command. Sell your possessions and give the proceeds to the poor. Now, we know from an encounter that Jesus had with a rich young man at another time that this is a demand that's hard to fulfill for that young man went away disappointed. We also know that from experience. He could not live up to Jesus' expectations, nor can we. How can relinquishing your security by giving away everything that you have, everything you've worked for, alleviate your fear? If anything, for me, it would increase my anxiety and insecurity in life. This teaching strikes us with the same force that it would have had that crowd 2,000 years ago. human nature. It's a challenge for us to make any sacrifice, let alone giving up our prized possessions. That would require the charitable spirit of a saint. Well, one of the most well-known saints, St. Francis, based his life on just such devotion to the poor. It might be helpful for us to look at what his life looked like as an example of what Jesus is suggesting. Saint Francis was born to a wealthy silk merchant in Assisi, Italy, in the 12th century. Francis lived an extravagant lifestyle, dressed in expensive clothes, and ate the best foods. He was a good-looking cosmopolitan man about town. A story from Francis' early life tells of him encountering a beggar while he was selling fine cloth and velvet in the marketplace. Francis left his valuable wares behind, ran after the beggar, and gave him all the money that he had in his pockets. And rather than being praised for his charity, his friends made fun of him, he was a sucker, and his father punished him out of disappointment. Francis' spiritual discontent with his carefree existence grew. He took a pilgrimage to Rome and begged with the poor at St. Peter's Basilica. For a while, he lived in a cave to escape his father's anger. His father finally disowned him, and Francis uh, presented himself at a monastery outside of Assisi. Some accounts say that he stripped himself naked before the bishop as a sign of his renunciation of wealthy goods, and he became a monk. He began caring for the poor and the lepers. He founded an order of monks that took a vow of poverty and service to the poor. That Franciscan order still exists today. Francis sought to imitate Christ and continue Christ's work on earth. Francis preached the Christian doctrine that the world was created good and beautiful by God, but suffers a need for redemption because of human sin, selfish and abusive consumption. As someone who saw God reflected in nature, St. Francis was a great lover of God's creation and reportedly preached to the birds of the air and the animals of the forest. His character is reflected in his famous peace prayer, which he prays Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that am I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is not in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Beautiful prayer. And Francis was canonized as a saint by Pope Gregory IX on July 16, 1228. In 1979, Pope John Paul II declared St. Francis the patron saint of ecology. This was the life of a man who gave up his possessions and served the, served the poor. The devotion of St. Francis is rare, but not unheard of. In modern times, Agnes Boyadu was born to a rich Macedonian family. And like St. Francis, Agnes renounced her wealth and comfortable lifestyle. She moved to India and founded a Roman Catholic missionary congregation, where she established homes to care for those who are dying of HIV-AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis. The congregation runs soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, children's and families' counseling programs, as well as orphanages and schools. Now, you probably know this extraordinary nun as Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979 and was canonized as a saint on September 4, 2016. Hearing about the lives of St. Francis and St. Teresa, do you want to become a saint? Like them, are you capable of following Jesus' challenge to sell your possessions and give alms to the poor? If you're like me, probably not, at least to that degree. I have a nice house, two cars, a retirement program, and one look at me will tell you that I'm not starving to death. Surely Jesus doesn't mean what he says. He must be speaking figuratively. Or maybe I can find a loophole. After all, Jesus doesn't say, sell all your possessions. Maybe it would be good enough to take a couple loads of my old clothes to goodwill or the Salvation Army. Well, before we try to weasel out of it, we should heed what Jesus says to the rich farmer who keeps building more and more barns for his crops in order to amass more wealth and provide for for his long-term security. To him, Jesus says, you fool. This night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. It is natural that you may be beginning to feel a little uncomfortable with the direction in which Jesus' teaching is taking us. This lesson seems to be all about threats and calls to impossible hardship. We aren't saints. We don't pretend to be and we don't want to be. But this really isn't the case. Jesus' teaching was not meant to be a threat or a curse, but loving advice. He is a shepherd who loves us, his flock. And the focus of this passage, if you think about it, is not on the welfare of the poor, Although, to be sure, Jesus is concerned about them, he is offering loving, although difficult to hear advice, to those who are not poor. And that would be to you and me, you and me for the most part. Think again about both St. Francis and Mother Teresa. St. Francis, we are told, was miserable living the playboy lifestyle. Turning to a life of service instead of a life of consumption was his salvation. His life post-conversion is typified by serenity and satisfaction. He lived at one with the nature, which included the birds of the air and the animals of the forest, and the poor, whom he not only served, but came to love as brothers and sisters. He found the joy of storing up treasures in heaven. Mother Teresa puts it simply, a life not lived for others is not a life. She also said, I do not pray for success. I ask for faithfulness. For her, Jesus' words were not a command for sacrifice, but a guide to a purposeful life. In living her life, as the least of all. She became the greatest of all. Let me give you one final example of a person who gave it all away, Gautama Buddha. Buddha was also raised in a rich family. Not only was he pampered, his parents sought to shield him from seeing any poverty or suffering or misery in the world. When his curiosity caused him to escape his isolation from reality and and visit the real world, he was shocked by what he saw. He saw old people, sick and dying. He witnessed the reality of suffering and death. So Buddha also relinquished all of his earthly goods and took up the life of a beggar. He deprived himself during long hours of meditation seeking enlightenment. He experienced horrible suffering his conclusion in his moment of enlightenment was that the cause of human suffering is attachment, our inability to let go of the things we have. We live, Buddha found, in self-imposed prisons, striving for more and more, when in the end, it will all be forfeited in death. And from that moment, Buddha lived a life of calm, contentment. He was enlightened. In the Broadway play *Hades Town*, Hades, the mayor of the underworld, which also bears his name, lures human beings into his realm with the false promise of riches, a luxurious lifestyle, and security. Instead, they find themselves toiling endlessly on a wall around Hadestown. Hades sings with the workers as they toil about the purpose of building the wall. Hades cries, Why do we build the wall, my children, my children? Why do we build the wall? The workers reply, Why do we build the wall? We build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. How does the wall keep us free, my children, my children? How does the wall keep us free? How does the wall keep us free? The wall keeps out the enemy. And we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. Who do we call the enemy, my children, my children? Who do we call the enemy? Who do we call the enemy? The enemy is poverty. And the wall keeps out the enemy. And we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. Hades says, because we have and they have not, my children, my children, because we have, because they want what we have got. And the workers sing, because we have and they have not, because they want what we have got, the enemy is poverty. Poverty. And the wall keeps out the enemy, and we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. What do we have that they, they should want, my children, my children? What do we have that they should want? What do we have that they should want? We have a wall to work upon. We have work and they have none. And our work is never done, my children, my children. And the war is never won. The enemy is poverty and the wall keeps out the enemy and we build the wall to keep us free that's why we build the wall we build the wall to keep us free we build the wall to keep us free Hades has convinced the dwellers of Hades town that they are building a wall to keep out poverty and those who envy what they've got however instead of a ball to keep out poverty, and to keep out suffering. They have built a wall to hem themselves in. He's tricked them into building their own prison. Instead of living in the heaven he promises, they are quite literally confining themselves to hell. Now, Hadestown is a tragedy. In the end, no one escapes. The gospel of Jesus Christ, however, is not a tragedy. God promises the kingdom to us and Jesus offers us a way out. Instead of the fruitless toil of trying to build a protective wall, Jesus invites us to tear the wall down and escape our prison. He calls us to join with those who have not and to re- rejoin God's good creation, to rejoin the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what that means for you in practical terms. You alone can establish your priorities and purpose in life. But the main thing is that we are aware of the seductive power of trying to store up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. But Jesus ends with a word of urgency. We don't know when our lives will be demanded of us. Certainly, it will be sooner than we would want. So now is the time to let go. Now is the time to start building our heavenly treasure. Amen. Thank you for joining me. I hope you will come back again. And I hope that your life is rich in heavenly treasures. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you like the sun. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.